Hey there. Oh, happy day. Happy Masterful Living. So grateful to join with you in what feels like an amazing time. I'm so grateful that we are doing this work together. And it does feel like work sometimes, doesn't it? <laughs> so we're cultivating a sense of joy in our work, whistling while we work. Hmm. Yeah. So it's early here in Kauai, 7 a.m. Sun is rising over the mountain. And I'm so grateful to be with you. Let us take this beautiful opportunity to pray and connect in the heart. So we're grateful and thankful to open ourselves to the unlimited, to the unprecedented, to the dynamic flow of good. We are opening ourselves to the power and the presence of perfect love active in our heart, in our mind, in our life. We are saying yes to the unlimited, yes to the unprecedented, yes to the all good of God. So grateful and thankful that we can say yes. So grateful and so thankful to partner up with the higher Holy Spirit self, to recognize I am that I am. So grateful, so grateful. In this very moment, we declare that we are willing to surrender all false beliefs, all false idols, everything that no longer serves it. No longer serves our life of love falling away with ease and grace. We are grateful and thankful to joyfully surrender the thoughts of separation, the habits of separation, so grateful and so thankful to cultivate divine vision and a willingness to see with God's eyes, to see with our true vision, to see with clarity, to see in our mind's eye, to see with our heart, to see what is real and true and forever eternal, perfect, and whole, to see ourselves and everyone else as we really are. This is our divine mission. It is the impetus of our life. We're surrendering all barriers to living our divine destiny. So grateful and thankful to choose love in this very moment now. Love is healing us. We are love. We are healing ourselves. We give all the heavy lifting to the Holy Spirit. We rejoice to walk this beauty road together. Mm. Seeing only the truth, knowing only the truth, we choose freedom. We allow our healing to be. We let it be. We share the benefits with everyone because we're one with them. And we let it be. And so it is. Amen, amen, amen. Hmm. Grateful, grateful, grateful. 
what a time of healing. It's so intense for so many. Oh, my goodness. Yes. <sighs> yeah. It's wonderful to listen to your community calls, the Wednesday call, the Saturday call, combined with the year two class. Powerful group of people. Powerful group of people. And I'm, uh, as you may know by now, I'm at that point in the year where we're going to begin to merge the year three and the year two class. Not sure exactly when we'll just have the one class. That hasn't been revealed to me yet, but um going to start combining. And uh, so everyone in the year three class will have a partner, prayer partner in the year two class. And uh, so we begin to merge the two groups and join this work together. Last year, we did the merging in August, and uh, everyone in the year three class pretty much said, wow, this is great. We love it. So... Uh, we've got such a powerful year one class this year too, and they and the year two class is extremely powerful. Every class, in my experience, goes deeper than the year before because of the foundation of the year before, and so it, we just keep getting deeper and deeper and deeper and can do deeper work, have deeper conversations. So I do strongly encourage you to get in there on those community calls. And if um, if there's any uh, requests that you have about shifting the schedule of the community calls, we can work on that. Um, once we make the shift to join the two classes together, uh, this class will go away, um, except for when we ha at, at this time, when we'll do it in the evening time, because it does seem that it's a little more, a uh, few more people can come to the evening class than to the day class. So uh, we'll see how that works. And we may switch it up from time to time because of um, scheduling. So please, you can always just email me directly your preferences. I always like to have that information when I'm uh, tuning in and, and feeling what's what. All right, so we're going to look at uh, this section on visualization in Unveiled Mysteries that uh, I'd hoped we'd get to last week, but wow, we had such a powerful conversation last week, uh, very deep. And um, I'm going to unmute everyone here. Uh, and uh, so I have a sense that some of the folks on the phone right now and listening online might have some things that you'd like to bring up. So if so, let's do those first. And my computer is just a little... Funkadoos. Uh, all right, here we go. Yes, my 
see it's my internet is just a little slow. Okay, so everybody's unmuted now. Good morning or afternoon, depending on where you are. Anybody like to bring up something or share anything? Don't be shy. Okay. Then let us move right into, oh, where to go? The, um, what did I do here? <sighs> All right. Sorry, having a little computer. <sighs> Don't quite. All right, here we go. <laughs> Lordy, sometimes I don't understand my computer. <sighs> I definitely don't understand that. <laughs> so we're in Unveiled Mysteries, and it's the end of... Oh, come on, what are you doing here? It's the end of Chapter 3 where he's talking about visualization. And uh, I just think this is such a powerful teaching here. So I'm going to uh, read some of it and we'll discuss. So he's talking about visualization because <clears throat> Guy Ballard had this question uh, about what true visualization is. And this is such a valuable question because visualization, imagination, uh, imagination, can we use our imagination when we're worrying, right? Worry is the negative use of your imagination. So visualization, uh, Master Saint Germain says here, true visualization is God's attribute and power of sight, acting in the mind of man. So this is an attribute of God. It's power of sight. The power of sight. So uh, the power of sight is about calling things into being, calling things into manifestation. So we definitely do not want to use visualization unconsciously. We intend to use visualization very consciously. So when one consciously pictures in his mind a desire he wishes fulfilled, he is using one of the most powerful means of bringing it into his visible, tangible experience. There is much confusion and uncertainty in the minds of many concerning what actually happens. When one visualizes or makes a mental picture of something he desires, no form ever came into existence anywhere in the universe unless someone had consciously held a picture of that form in his thought. 
for every thought contains a picture of the idea within it. Even an abstract thought has a picture of some kind, or at least a picture that is one's mental concept of it. So, consider you are a being of light. This is your true nature. You are the light. How things come into manifestation in form is you hold that image like a slide in your mind. The light of your awareness projects through it to bring it into form. This is why A Course in Miracles tells us over and over again, I see only the past. Because I have these beliefs about the past and my beliefs about the past are what I'm entertaining consciously and unconsciously. And those beliefs about the past are negatively impacting me because I draw into my awareness, I magnetize into my awareness thoughts that are congruent with my belief system. And I do that so that I can examine my belief system, so that my belief system becomes conscious to me. And what happens is, as I entertain those thoughts and decide whether or not to choose to think them again, there is where I apply my God power. Choosing to think them again means shining the light of my awareness. So every thought contains a picture. Picture. So I'm projecting that image onto the screen of my life. So this is how we bring things into form. And what St. Germain is telling us here is nothing came into form without someone thinking about it. No tree, no flower, no drop of water, no planet, no wind, no nothing. Everything comes into form because of our thoughts. Now, when we add our belief, we're adding what I think of as my heart energy, my investment of my heart. So this is why A Course in Miracles says in the Fear and Conflict section in Chapter 2, thought combined with belief is a power that can literally move a mountain. So think of this, what Saint Germain is, Master St. Germain is telling us here is that everything that's in the visible world of form, which also includes all of our experiences and our emotions, Everything that's in the world of form came into being through thought. It's the only way. And that means making a mountain or a mountain range. I'm looking out at this mountain here with the sun rising over it. It came into being because of a thought that someone had. So thought combined with the belief can literally move a mountain. It can create a mountain and it can move a mountain. 
And the thing for us to do is to prove it in our life so that we know it, so that we stop the idle thinking. So that we stop the idle thinking. I was talking about this recently in the radio show. Maybe this morning. <laughs> Maybe just a little while ago. Um there is much confusion and uncertainty in the minds of many concerning what actually happens. When one visualizes or makes a mental picture of something he desires, no form ever came into existence anywhere in the universe unless someone had consciously held the picture of that form in his thought. For every thought contains a picture of the idea within it. even an abstract thought, has a picture of some kind or at least a picture that is one's mental concept of it. So for me, one of the ways, two two ways that I find it's really helpful for me to tap into this teaching on a gut level so that I really get it is to look at a time in my life when I had a belief that I could accomplish something, that I could do something, I had a desire to bring something into manifestation, and I kept my focus and attention on it, and I had no thought or belief that I couldn't do it, that I wouldn't do it, that I shouldn't do it. Everything in my mind said, it will be done. It is being done. It's happening now. And it came into manifestation even though other people said it couldn't be done or that was crazy. You can't do it. You don't have what it takes. Even despite all of that, I brought it into manifestation. So see if you can think of something like that in your life that's real and tangible for you. where you did that. Some people may not have anything. Some people may have forgotten that they had anything. But I, my experience, most of us have something in their life that they were told they couldn't do, it would be hard to do, and they had a desire to bring it into being, whether it was an experience or a thing, or a relationship, and they did. They they brought it into being. They brought it into manifestation. And then all of us have had the experience of having a worry, a doubt, a fear that we couldn't seem to shake. And it kept coming back. And we brought that into manifestation, but we didn't have to. There were other possibilities and strong possibilities. And sometimes that negative idea, that picture, that worry, that doubt, that fear picture of that idea that we don't wish to have happen is so strong that we actually feel relieved when it comes into manifestation because then we can say, I knew it. I knew that was going to happen. I knew it. And one of the most challenging things for all of us 
is when there's a feeling like that, a feeling of great fear, great intensity, great worry, great doubt, great sense of maybe apathy or ambivalence, not enoughness, where it feels like a mountain to move. And to be able to work with the mind, to work with the heart, to turn that ship around. That's the hardest thing we ever do. It really is. It's the hardest thing that we ever do. But the harder it is, and the more committed we are to letting the Holy Spirit do the heavy lifting, the bigger the demonstration we have, the bigger the miracle we experience. Because remember, a miracle, I did a radio show on this a couple of weeks ago, a miracle, and being, it was the show was about being miracle-minded, where I was just reminding folks that miracles are what happened in the mind. They happen in the mind. So a miracle is when we let go of the ego thought system or an ego thought, and we replace it with the thought of God. We surrender the attachment to the ego thought, and we replace it. We allow the thought of God to reveal itself and to be the truth in our mind, surrendering that belief and standing in the truth. That is the miracle. It happens in the mind. It's a change in our thinking. Then the demonstration in the world of form is the result of the change in thinking. So that is very much tied to this teaching on true visualization. Anybody want to share anything? Uh, can you, especially if you have something in your life, you can say, oh yes, I've experienced this in this way. Uh, an example that you can share from your own life. Oh, this is Kazi. Hey, Kazi. Hey. Um, I have an experience. It's It's been about, I was trying to think, I think nine years ago, but this is one that came up when you asked. Um, at the time, I was working for Intel, and I had this desire to become a principal engineer. And no woman had ever become a principal engineer, and it just seemed pretty impossible. And everybody mm. told me it was impossible. The interesting mm. thing is... So it, it came into manifestation, but by that time I had begun to believe it wasn't possible. <laughs> but it had already been done, but they hadn't told me. This about two weeks, bef two weeks before I found out, I had to do this huge application, and it was years of things. But two weeks before I found out, I started having this doubt, and I didn't mm -hmm. even know if I wanted to become it, which is an interesting side. But but I believed it could be possible, and the whole. And I just really didn't listen to anybody else until those last two weeks. And then I became it. Um, mm. And it was an experience of that. Yes, that is a great example. So when you first, if you can recall, when you first started getting the idea that you would like to become that, you'd like to represent that. Yep. Can you say anything about how you were feeling about it initially? Um, well, I did really believe it was possible, and mm -hmm. I was very clear that I needed to get 
other people in the company on board to believe it. And so that's mm-hmm. what I started doing. Like my manager, I like she had to be part of it, I felt like, or else it wouldn't happen. Um, but I had a very strong belief in it, and I just believed if I kept doing the kind of work I was doing and really believed in it, that it could happen. Mm-hmm. But I was, I was also um, cultivating other people's belief in it, such as my manager and um, different departments that I worked in, because to become that, you had to also work in areas that weren't of your expertise, but that you could bring your skill set. And so I was doing that, but so I was also bringing those people in those areas into the belief. So I had I had the I held the belief very strongly, and um, I was cultivating the belief in other people because it felt like it was going to take. If I think back to it, I wouldn't have never said this during it, but um, that it was going to take more than just my belief in it for it to be able to happen. Because you had to get, I mean, people in throughout the company had to vote for you and and agree that you had demonstrated that. So you had to have that kind of like. Um, you had to cultivate. You really did have to have those kind of relationships, so people knew who you were and what kind of work you were doing. But if I really believe about, I mean, it, it must have all been in my mind because really everything happens at the level of mind. And mm-hmm. it, I mean, at that time, I was really very much believe in trying to manage and coping. <laughs> but I did have a very strong belief in that I just needed to believe it was possible, regardless of what everything outside looked like. I did have that belief. If I think about it. Yeah, that is a great discovery. And, you know, one of the tricky parts of our human experience is to recognize when guidance is to cultivate that level of support and agreement around us. Because it definitely we become the two or more who are gathered. We come, become joined in holding this, this image. Mm-hmm. And But there are times, and we've all experienced them, when we say, oh, I have an idea to do this. And the instant response or reaction from people around us is, you can't do that, you'll never do that, it's not a good idea. And then a lot of people become deflated and they give up that the other people holding in their mind the limitation and the lack oh uh, it overpowers them and it outweighs their own yeah their own desire and belief so it sounds like you're pretty clear as you're looking back that your guidance was uh to really cultivate that support yep that's true i can think of another time though because i just want to be clear that for some people in undertaking a a major shift i think we lost or i can't hear you Sorry about that. My internet is playing tricks with me here. 
I'm going to see if I can just uh, make a little adjustment here. So, um, I'm not sure what was the last thing that you heard me say, Carthy. Something like I just want to be you to be I just want to be clear your guidance and I think then that's what I last heard. Okay. Yeah. So there's a it's a tricky time. And I don't know if other people can hear you, but I can't. I only heard you. It's a tricky time, and then that's it. I am going to switch my to my cell phone. Just I oh, I see what I did. I muted out my, my Skype connection. connection. All right. <laughs> Technology. Um. Can you hear me now, Kazi? Yep, can hear you now. Okay, great. So uh, one of the things that happens for us is that we have to discern when is it a good idea to tell other people and get them on board and when is it not a good idea. Because some people, they won't let themselves follow their heart and they don't want anybody else to do it either. And so anybody else following their heart is threatening to them. And uh, I think you may have heard me tell a story. I've told it once or twice in the last couple of years, um, but sometimes I don't remember where I told it. Um, I just have to close this shade. Now that the sun is up, it is pouring in here. And... Um, when I was 16 years old, I maybe I was 15 years old, actually, uh, I was saying that my passion was for rock and roll for music, and I wanted to work in the music industry and, be, and manage rock and roll bands. And, oh, I just had such a passion for it. And I was telling that to some of my friends who were guys. We were all standing around. We're 15 years old, 16 years old. What do you want to do with your life? So I, I told them, yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to do that. And this one friend of mine, Dave, he looked at me. He laughed and he said, you're never going to do that. You're a girl. You're never going to do that. And it was such a revelation to me that I, because my parents were pretty supportive of me and my goals and my dreams, even if they were threatened by them, they supported me having my own experience. And uh, I hadn't ever really encountered somebody saying to me, you can't do what you'd like to do. You can't, you can't be that you can't live the life you'd like to live it was such a an affront to me but i also i i knew that his mind couldn't con couldn't conceive of it and um literally when dave was 17 years old he was married and he was a father he had to get married and uh, he was a grandfather at 32 
And so God bless him, great guy. <clears throat> but, you know, he had a vision. Uh, he Well, maybe he didn't have a vision. I don't know. But he couldn't hold a vision for me because I don't think he could really hold a vision for himself. So a lot of times we have to be discerning about when does it, does it make the most sense for us to share the vision with other people and get them on board holding the vision with us too, and when does it make much more sense for us not to tell anyone or to be very judicious in whom we tell because a lot of times family members and friends will become very threatened by our growth and changes. I, I know back in the 80s, I had a roommate that I lived with for a number of years. And for a long time, she had a steady boyfriend, like for a couple of years during that time. And I, I was dating different guys, you know, like three months with this guy, three months with that guy or whatever. And, um, and then I met a guy that, uh, we we really we really loved each other and so we moved in together and after that my friend didn't want to be my friend anymore because now i was in a committed relationship living with my boyfriend and she had already moved she had a different home so it wasn't about us being roommates anymore she just she didn't really like him and thought that i should be with a different sort of man and so she couldn't be around me anymore. So, you know, obviously these are the things of life, but they all do go back to visualization. So I think what also would be really helpful to talk about here, Kazi, is there was a point where doubt entered your mind. Yep. It, I think the doubt started happening. It had been many years, and um, I started feeling discouraged, and I thought, I don't even know if I want to be that. <laughs> That's what I started thinking. Mm. Um, and at that point, it had already why happened. Um, why was I? Well, it just seemed like it, it came with a lot of responsibility, which it did, but it was, <laughs> I don't know, I... I Maybe I had a time limit or something. Um, what kind of in that in that company you have to prove your worth all the time. And when you become a principal engineer, the light is shining on you about, and then you even have to prove yourself more. And everybody knows what level you're at, so then they expect even more of you. Um, Mhm. So I really did um it was it was only like a couple two weeks and like I said it what happens is that it goes through a whole process and so they knew ahead of time that I was actually a principal engineer when I had started having these doubts but I didn't know it because they had it it has to go through a process so it was two more weeks before they were going to actually tell me so I just started thinking oh I don't know if I want to be this. <laughs> Um, what what was it that was the impetus originally? Do you think? I really wanted. I really believed I was doing the work that that may, was which fit that role, and I also wanted to be it because there because no other women had ever been it, and I wanted to break that ceiling. 
and so I, it, right. it was, uh, um, and I wanted that. I wanted to be able to have make it for myself as well as, as well as other women in particular that it could be done. That you didn't have to be a man to be to be a principal engineer. Right. That was really yeah. strong for me. Right. Yeah. So I, what I get is it was about uh, breaking through uh, the the barriers of beliefs. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, exactly. So doesn't it make sense that in the process, did you happen to read? Did you, sorry, my mind jumps ahead sometimes. Okay. Um, <laughs> so the in the process, it had to come up those false beliefs. You had to actually entertain them. In you know, it's just too hard. It's not worth it. I don't want to do it. Yep. And were you going to ask me if I read your three-part thing, blog? Yes, I was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep, and it was great. I mean, I totally identified with it. And there are, you know, I mean, it isn't surprising that it came up. And um, it was to mm-hmm. me it was kind of surprising. It was kind of like at the, the tail end. And then when I actually got it, I just, like, kind of let those doubts go and just thought, okay, I'm going to step into this. Because then I felt a responsibility, actually. Mm-hmm. To stand in that to stand in that. Uh, place, you know, and to show that it could be done and continue on, not just quit then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's about shifting the barriers in the mind, dissolving those thought forms, those old molds, as uh, calling the molds, those thought forms, uh, that's, <clears throat> I got that from Ernest Holmes. So in the blog series that I just wrote, I talked about we're all on a hero's journey. So in the hero's journey, there are also, I didn't talk about this so much. Maybe I will write about this for tomorrow. Um in the hero's journey, one of the things that happens is there's always a confrontation where it seems like the hero is as part of the paradigm of the hero's journey. And it seems like it's easier to give up at some point. But, and the only thing that keeps them going is that fire in their heart. They're not willing to go back. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times in the hero's journey, there's a place where the bridge, they have to actually burn. You know, and there are wonderful stories where they actually do, the characters will burn the bridge so they know they can't opt out. They have to go forward. They they actually put that put themselves in extra peril because it's not about surviving, it's about trans. And they know that if they choose survival, that's then they've. So they will actually burn the bridge that represents survival, so that they are forced to continue on and transcend or fly or die. And so these these fears are a natural part or the wanting to give up is a natural part 
It's just a natural part of the journey. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. And it do, yeah, it doesn't mean anything's wrong. It's we're strengthening that muscle. It it goes also to that metaphor, the visual metaphor that we all have, and you've heard me talk about that whole point when the butterfly. I think we lost you again, Jennifer. Oh. Can you? Yep, you're coming in and out. We'll switch to the cell phone. So let me just get that going. I don't know why the the oh wait. Okay. To the cell yep. phone. Um, so in in the the butterfly escaping from the cocoon, it has that struggle. Without that struggle, it cannot be the butterfly. It can't have the fully formed wings. It can't fly. It can't be gorgeous and beautiful. It just can't do it. It has to have that struggle coming out of the cocoon. And it, we have that experience too. It's like giving birth, you know, I mean, in a certain sense, it would be possible for the birth process to be just, um, oh, just open a door and get the baby out, you know? (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, oh, there's a flap of a zipper or something, you know? Um, I, I don't know much about, say, dolphins and whales and things like that giving birth, but it doesn't seem like they have these, horrendous long labors that are intensely painful. Um, But human beings do. And, you know, I I think that uh, any parent that's gone through the gestation period, you know, the whole long pregnancy and all of that, and through the intensity of birth, there's a different level of attachment to that child for having gone through that experience. Yeah. So uh, we, we oftentimes in these intense challenges, we find the fire that we need that does become that rocket fuel that takes us to the next, through the next part of the journey. So you're having to face those doubts and wondering was part of your release of the past, and it sounds like it did give you that rocket fuel to finish. Yep. Congratulations. What a perfect uh, demonstration of exactly what we're talking about here. Anybody else um, like to... Share, Anna Maria, so you're muted out there. Um, if you can self-mute, I'll unmute you here. And anybody else want to say hi or a comment? Hello, it's Karen. Hey, Karen. <laughs> How are you? We are so glad to be home and be able to be back on the calls. And sure, I'll be glad to share. 
I think uh, as I was listening to the question, that if I understood the question, just a time in your life when you had a visualization that was then made manifest. Is that correct? Yeah, whether it was negative or positive. Right. Uh, well, um, I, I mean, honestly, I, I think I could write a whole book of times in my life that that has happened. And as I was reflecting, I was... Uh, I thought of the positive ones, and then I thought of the one where, when I was a child, my parents had a tumultuous marriage, and there was a lot of arguing, and I guess I must have been pretty insecure about whether or not their marriage was going to end up staying together. And I heard about a little boy that got shot uh, in the eye with a BB gun. And I saw my parents come together and pray for this little boy, and somewhere in my little mind i decided that if i you know they had this thing on tv that said the family that prays together stays together and uh so somewhere in my unconscious i drew that in and i then had this eye accident where i put scissors in my eye my mother was standing there and we were doing something together and i asked to use the scissors to do the same thing and the scissors slipped and went into my eye and subsequently, I uh, ended up having to have my eye removed, and I've had a prosthetic eye ever since. So that was 60 years ago. And over time, you know, at the time, it was such a horrible experience for my parents. I had no idea how difficult it was uh, for them. And um, and as a kid, I just adjusted. It was it was truly not a big deal at all, but uh, it was a very big deal for my parents. And for a while, it brought them together. And then it didn't, and they, they stayed married, but it was difficult. It was, and it was hard on me. The argue, arguing was very hard, and the tension in the house, and uh, and so on. And and my sister, who was older, left home when I was like in eighth grade. So I had four really long years of living by myself in the house. And um, and as I think about it of course you know my visualization was if i did something to me that would bring my parents together then they would stay together they stayed together but for a long time i felt as if um it hadn't worked yeah, that that visualization hadn't worked in terms of making it a harmonious home um subsequent to all of that though you know, it all happened for good. <laughs> and so it's, it was interesting to think about how I visualized that as a child and how it had an unexpected turn of events, but that I've made peace with that because my parents did stay together. And uh, I think in the course of my life, uh, having one eye has not been a handicap. It's in many ways been a, a kind of a strange uh, asset. And I think that um, it helps me understand that vision is not at the level of the eyes, that, that real vision is not with the senses. So I've gotten a whole lifetime of harvest out of that maybe negative visualization, but I don't know that there really are any. And... Um, yeah, so and I'm grateful for that. And and as you were talking about it and you were talking about sharing your dreams with someone, uh we had a teacher named Scout. Scout used to say she and she did this and it made such an impact on my kids because we would do these 
long camps with Scout and do ropes courses and so on. And Scout would take a twig and she'd say, here's your dream. It's so precious. I just love this dream. And oops, you know, if I'm not careful, I can listen to someone say something to me and it'll just break my twig and and that'll be that. But so what I'm going to do is I'm going to gather another twig that's like-minded and another twig and I'm going to make a bundle of twigs of people who support my dream and wow it gets so strong that you know if I have three or four or five twigs here it'd be really really hard to break them and what came to me was your genius in uh, your guidance in having us have prayer partners because prayer partners for me have been so transformative and it's because when you say having masterful living with a group of like-minded people where we can talk openly and honestly and share our awakening together it is growing my current visualization of waking up and and as you said being all in 100%. So that that's it. Yeah, that's another amazing and beautiful example so rich and uh coincidentally perhaps coincidentally <laughs> that has to do with your own vision physical my own vision your eyes uh, I'm not sure I'm not understanding what you mean oh well we're talking about visualization so you yes. gave us sorry the visualization of the um, your family coming together to in prayer uh-huh. And so we're talking about the thoughts in the mind creating the pictures in our world, creating the experiences. Right. So in in addition to manifesting that idea, it also had to do with your eyesight, your physical eyesight. Mhm. I mean, it could have been about well, you punctured your Long. Right. I'm just that's all just a interesting coincidence. Mhm. Yeah. And you know, with with something like that, I think it's also really valuable to understand that do you well, do you feel in any way that somehow you did something wrong? No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not at all. Yeah. So I think that's important to point out because some people might feel like in hindsight as an adult when you looked at it that you had done something as a child that was wrong or that you were trying to manipulate your family or your parents. Oh, okay. So, yes. I did, No, I did not feel that way, but I think I – and. Uh, I believe that at some level I kind of ingr- um, bought into if I hurt myself, uh, I can get I can manipulate people. Yes, um, that by hurting myself, I can manipulate people into doing uh, something that I want them to do or to stop doing something I want them to do. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that is that is how the mind works. We all have experiences of those kinds of subtle and not-so-subtle experiences. And 
the main thing here is for us to have this awareness of how powerful our thoughts and visualizations are. And for me, one of the biggest challenges that I see most people have, and it used to be one of my biggest challenges, was to not keep projecting the image of what I don't want. And uh, you're doing that through judgments, through criticism, and through worry. Uh, because I think worry is one of the, the most prevalent patterns in people's minds. And worry is that negative use of the imagination. Um, anybody else want to share anything? I just want to, this is Kazi, I just wanted to comment about you talking about, you know, the worry or the negative, because I remember you sharing that story about your, I think it was your grandmother always saying she was praying for you, for nothing bad to happen to you. And so it's made me really be very conscious of myself where I'm thinking those things or visualizing those things that I don't want to happen. Right. And really, and really stopping them and changing that. It's made me very aware of it. Like, like things of like my husband was doing things with a chainsaw and and I started found myself thinking, oh I hope this doesn't happen. I'm thinking, oh I don't even want to think that. Let's just think everything goes well and healthy and I mean, but just the little they can be just the smallest thing, but they're not small. Exactly. Giving power to it. Right. Yeah, you know one of the common things for parents is with, with especially with new parents is they have repeated visualizations of their children being hit by car, by being hurt or killed. Uh, and it's very, very common. Um, has anybody ever had that? I see it with my, my daughters and my grandkids all the time. We've talk, we're, we're talking about it now. Yeah. So when you say you see it with your daughters, what, what does that mean? Well, things like, uh, you know, being afraid of uh, having the kids out of sight, uh, being afraid about illnesses. Um, uh, you know, there's just constant, it's just constant. <laughs> and so uh, what I've loved about our classes is, being able, I I don't even have to say anything. I can cancel out what I perceive as that negative fear energy with just sending love energy. And I just love the, that your seven simple steps class about, you know, fear has no power and love does and love has all the power. So I I find myself as I'm hearing that um, or any of that being activated with either of my daughters and the, and the grandkids is just understanding that everything is well, you know, just absolutely wrapping them in the purple flame and love. I find yeah. that to be helpful. Exactly. Exactly. Because these errant, negative, fearful thoughts and visualizations are coming up for healing. So they are they are pretty normal. Like, I, I, I have definitely had clients, counseling clients, say to me, Oh my God, I keep having these images in my mind of my child being hit by a car 
or drowning or some kind of catastrophic thing happening to them, some accident out of my control. And that's, all that stuff really is coming up for healing. And they've asked me, well, do these thoughts have power? Should I be worried? Are these premonition thoughts? And so to that I say, no, they're not, they're probably not premonition thoughts. They are the, your fears, your worries coming up to be healed. So it's it's about doing exactly what you're saying, Karen. Exactly what you're saying, Kazi, of projecting light, violet light, love, and knowing, oh, this thought's coming up for healing. I'm so grateful because I don't need it anymore. Jennifer, this is Rich. Hey, Rich. Uh, I'll tell you two quick uh, instances that come to my mind, both have to do with being at this church that Karen mentioned that we used to go to. One was um, when my uh, we took our kids up there, and it was uh, in a rural situation. Uh, we were down in a in a circle talking, and our our teacher was talking to us. And there were big cottonwood trees all around. And my son Andrew, who was at that time I don't know maybe seven, eight, nine years old, something like that, and he would crawl up into the tree and would sit on a branch that was probably like ten feet off the ground and. And I was very anxious about him doing that, and I would imagine him or see him falling off the uh, the tree limb. And Scout, our teacher, came over to me one day and said, Rich, you have to really stop that. I said, what What do you mean? She said, you have to stop imagining him falling off the tree. You're going to knock him off the tree if you keep that up. <laughs> and so I really stopped. I, you know, I worked to let to release that image and, and saw him up there as being, you know, peaceful and having a good time and enjoying himself and and being being free, you know. So so that was an image where, you know, they're really we're all one, we're all connected. And my uh, energy of him falling off the tree might really have knocked him off the tree, you know. Yeah. Uh, the other the other story was the same place. We we're up there once, and I was walking a balance beam, and it was sort of at the end of the day, and everybody was walking this balance beam, and I would get up on the balance beam and start across, and then fall off and I did this numerous times and it was getting close to lunchtime and finally the, the the leader said well you know let's give it another try later let's go have the lunch and so forth so I was feeling really bad <laughs> about that not being able to do it so we all went to lunch and then I went after I finished my lunch quickly and I went back up got on the balance beam and walked straight across it without the slightest bit of difficulty you know and I was very excited so I ran back down to the group I said I haven't really mastered it. I can walk the balance beam. We came back up. Everybody came back eagerly. I got on the balance beam, and I couldn't walk across it. I continually fell off again. And I was able to be mindful enough to see that I was making, when I had people watching me, I was making an image of falling off and being embarrassed and laughed at and so forth. When I was by myself, I had no no such imagery at all. (laughs) There was a tremendous uh, physical demonstration of how that kind of imagery can uh, act on us, and many times not being really aware of the imagery at all. But that that situation helped me be aware of the imagery I was doing, and when I changed it, then uh, then I was able to walk the balance beam, okay, whether there were people there or not. So those are two little ex- experiences in my life that seem relevant. That is a great example, too, Rich, because uh, I think we all have had experiences. I know I have where I'm trying to do something, I feel a little insecure, 
and having somebody watch me is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, and and partly, and, and the reason is, it's just pure ego. I don't want to fail in front of other people. Right. You know, it's, really, I don't mind. Yeah. We used to put have people, when we were trainers there, we'd have people up on the high, uh, a high balance beam. So they're on delay, so you know you're safe, but you're walking on a, on a telephone pole or a log, and you're about 30, 40 feet in the air. And we would give them, before they would go up on that, we'd have them make what, we, what she called a ticket to ride. So you'd tell, what are things that we can say to you that would help you be peaceful and calm and successful and, and at your best? That's one list. And then a list of what are things that we think will not knock you off? So as they were going up to get on the pole, we would say these positive things that would help them feel secure, and then they'd start walking across the pole, and then you yelled out something like, when is your dissertation due? And, you know, uh, what about that? <laughs> and literally it would knock people off the pole. They would they would fall off. And uh, so then you they would get back on and would invite them to then use the positive imagery and the positive comforting words themselves. And when they did that, then no matter what you said to them, you couldn't knock them off. It was a really powerful example of that. Yeah, what a wonderful story. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. So we've got all these parents here. What are the ways that parents can do that, work with that with their children? Like, for instance, even, how could you see applying that now with, your adult children now. Well, I know I've shared, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've shared this, but I'll just say it again because it just to be my, my default now is uh, each day when I think of anyone in our family or friends, I just see them as a cast of characters on a stage and they are acting out their parts and I'm in the audience and I'm seeing drama and comedy and all of those things, those myriads of things that we experience in the illusion. And then I just simply shift and see them each taking a bow and I applauding and everybody saying, wow, that was a great play. And it helps me understand that everybody is already happy, healthy, healed, and whole. And they are simply playing a part in my life. In helping me to awaken and so when I do that when I activate that visualization I stop thinking and I and then I really do uh, choose to make my narratives I, I, my goal is to make my narratives support that belief not as a denial but rather that everyone is happy healthy healed and whole and they are having an experience or they're having the dream of a struggle, but it's it's going to be resolved in a way that is highest and best for them. So that's a very helpful visualization for me, and it, and it's a real shift from the way it used to be because it it used it has been, and I and it still may start out that way. My grandson had surgery, and at first I was seeing him feeling you know frightened, and I didn't want him in pain, and blah blah blah, and I was like, oh, ixnay on that, and just saw everyone who was involved in that, being supportive, and it was going to be smooth and easy and, and so on. And I, that was the visualization I activated all last week, and that's exactly how it turned out, and I'm grateful. And I think my daughter, especially my New York daughter, 
she and I were were beginning to dialogue about only energizing what you want. And at first, it she got very angry with me when I talked that way. And then we got to a place where we could really uh, support one another in saying what we want rather than what we don't want and visualizing the highest and best without necessarily coming up with an attachment of what was highest and best that we don't actually know. And we're beginning that dialogue. And I have a visualization of my family, of my, when I am healed, we are all healed. That's that's my new visualization. <laughs> and I like it. Good one. And it's, it's delightful. And... Um, so that's how I'm using that with my adult children. Instead of telling the narrative of woes and negatives and, and so on, which I slip into. I'm not saying I'm not slipping into. I do sometimes choose that path. I'm mindful that I'm choosing that path, and I am uh, becoming more purposeful in choosing again. Yes, clearly. I'm just feeling the whole, all the reverberations of that. And you probably know or have heard me talk about uh, Master Saint Germain. Uh, It's believed that he incarnated as Shakespeare. You know, and he said, all the world's a stage and we are merely players on it. Right, yeah, that was definitely in my head about that. Yeah. And St. Germain is so funny because my daughter Jen brought up St. Germain, and I don't remember the context, and Rich and I just looked at each other and smiled. It was like, really? Okay, St. Germain has arrived on the scene, and that was just by our thinking about it in the invisible. (laughs) And actually, there was a place that we visited not that long ago where it was in Cusco. It was in Cusco. Okay, Saint Germain and Saint Raphael. Raphael, they had her portrayed as a female when we were in these churches in Peru, and there was Saint Germain, and we were just like, oh my gosh, you know, we didn't even know about Saint Germain a couple of years ago, and now he's popping up. <laughs> the context was amazing because we were getting ready the next day. We we're going to do the Inca Trail, and we had some anxieties about how that was going to be and was it going to be and so forth, and we walked, just the two of us walking around the streets of Cusco at night and wandered into this church, which was not one of the regular churches on the touring list, It was, but it was actually a working church. There were people in there getting ready to have mass, and we walked around the periphery where they had all these saints, and there was there was uh, St. Germain and uh, Hillary on. And um, so that was, I was like, whoa, I know those guys. <laughs> so it was really a message that you're safe, that the angels are around you, these these masters are around you, and, and it was comforting as we got ready to take that journey. St. Germain and Hilarion or Hildegard? Hilarion. Hilarion. Wow. Yeah. Those those ascended masters, they get around. Yeah. They were just tucked up in the corner of a little alcove with these statues of them, and it was like, Wow, that was uh, that was. I said to Karen, "That's really amazing." Here we are, being anxious and walking into this church, and there they are. It's the same way that a year ago, when Peter and I were walking in New York City together, talking about angels, we stopped because we were talking about angels, and we having this discussion about angels. And I looked 
and there were two. We were outside of a, and there were two huge statues of angels right over our heads. That that was an amazing deal. <laughs> I said, Peter, look out for where we. Are. <laughs> so that, was, that was fun. Yeah. These are the experiences, Jennifer, where your class on, uh, you know, miracles begin at the level of the mind and then are made manifest. That was so, such a wonderful class for me. And it is that it was a perfect reminder that it's not, the report of the miracle isn't, oh, we saw these these angels or, or any of that. It's rather that when I am being mindful, I then make it manifest in the illusion. Exactly, yes. Beautiful. Yep, the big shifts are happening now. They're really happening in our mind, and uh, it's uh, it's an intense time. It feels like we're in the spin cycle, spinning out everything that doesn't serve us anymore. It's not, it's not a lot of fun to be in the spin cycle, but if you know that, uh, you know, it's like uh, for me personally, I'm, I'm going to be flying to the East Coast, tomorrow and Thursday. It's a long trip, so it starts for me on Wednesday evening and ends on Thursday afternoon. But, um, and I I don't enjoy packing. Packing's not fun for me. Uh, And, uh, but it's a necessary part of the journey. And so, so I'm happy to do it because it's, going to make for a good journey. So we know that these uh, times of being in the spin cycle are helping us to have a journey that is lighter. We're spinning out the things we don't need now. And being able to see how clearly our thoughts are made manifest really helps us to keep our attention. So what I'd like to do, we're at time here, but what I'd like to do is just to to go through this next part a little bit so that people can contemplate it. And uh, next week, our class is with Venerable. And, um, yeah, so next week our class is with Venerable. So in here, uh, Master St. Germain says, I'll give you an exercise by which one may develop consciously control and direct his visualizing activities for definite accomplishment. There are several steps to the process which every student can use at any and all times. The practice does bring visible, tangible results when really applied. The first step is to determine upon a definite plan or desire to be fulfilled. In this, See that it is constructive, honorable, and worthy of your time and effort. Be sure to examine your motive for bringing such a creation into expression. It must be honest, both toward yourself and the rest of the world, not merely to follow a whim or gratify appetites of the physical senses. Remember there is a vast difference between use, desire, and appetite. Use is the fulfilling of the great universal law of service. Desire is the expanding activity of God through which manifestation is constantly sustained and is perfection enlarging itself. Appetite is but habit 
established by the continued gratification of the feeling nature and is but energy focused and qualified by suggestions from the outer activity of life. Be very sure that there is no lurking feeling within that you would be glad to benefit at the expense of another. A real student, and only such a one will get the benefit out of this kind of training, takes the reins into his own hands and determines to discipline and consciously control the human self. He chooses what shall or shall not be in this world, and through the process of picturing within his mind, designs and brings into manifestation a definitely determined plan of life. The second step is to state your plan in words as concise and clear as possible. Write this down. Thus, you make a record of your desire in the outer, visible, tangible world. The third step is to close your eyes and see within your mind a mental picture of your desire or plan in its finished, perfect condition and activity. Contemplate the fact that your ability to create and see a picture within your own consciousness is God's attribute of sight acting in you. The activity of seeing and the power to create are attributes of your God self, which you know and feel is within you at all times. God's life and power are acting within your consciousness to propel you into your outer world, into your outer world, the picture you are seeing and feeling within yourself. So we'll pick up on this. And in the meantime, uh, I'm asking everyone to do this, to write down this desire, write it down. So for many of you, it might be your contract that you have with yourself. And maybe it's time to go back to that and start to work with it in this level of visualization. So this is, to me, this is uh, akin to the deep desire of the heart work, which has been so life-changing for me, because in that deep desire of the heart work, I'm feeling it, as I'm feeling it, what I have found in my experience of doing that deep desire of the heart work is through the process of feeling that desire in my heart, images and pictures come into my mind because I'm thinking those thoughts. So this is some homework that I'm asking you to either bring to the Facebook group or bring to the class to work on with your prayer partners. So you've got a couple weeks to do it. And let's let's bring some things into manifestation and prove God at another level so that we take even greater dominion over our thoughts and the images in our mind. How beautiful. Any final thoughts before we close out here? All right. So I'm also going to be asking for prayers for my travels, the long travels. Um, It's actually literally about close to 24 hours of travel for me. And um, with this stuff I've been experiencing in my leg, the doctor says, 
The one thing you're not supposed to do now is sit. No sitting. So uh, I'm going to be up walking around on the planes and um, in the long car rides I can recline the seat all the way back so that I'm not sitting in a traditional sense. And um, so just would appreciate you holding me in prayer for ease and grace uh, in my body temple and visualizing that um, ease and grace in my body temple and joining with me and being my twigs of support. (laughs) So let's take a breath of love and gratitude together here and be so grateful and so thankful that the love of God is revealing itself in our heart and our mind. And we're so completely focused on the love of God that all thoughts and beliefs of separation naturally fade and fall away. We're grateful and thankful to be able to hold ourselves and each other, our families and friends, and the whole world in a vision of love, a vision of peace and harmony, a vision of wholeness wellness, prosperity. We're grateful and thankful to know for ourselves that all is well. Holding this in our hearts, we consciously partner up with the higher Holy Spirit self and recognize I am that I am and I am one with everyone. We're grateful and thankful to know this truth this day. We share the benefits with all, and we let it be. And so it is. And so it is. Amen. 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 God bless everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. Jennifer. Have a good trip. Have a great rest of your week. The moderator has left the conference.